Moon Knight has wrapped up its six-episode run on Disney+, and we definitely have some thoughts. Isn't that right, Joseph? Yeah, that's right. We think it was a right proper finale, wasn't it, mate? Hello everybody, I'm Dan Merle, here with my wrap-up and review of episode 6 of Moon Knight, which according to IMDb was called Gods and Monsters. It didn't have a name on Disney Plus last time I checked. It may by the time you're watching this. This was also the finale of the series of season 1. We didn't get a Loki-like confirmation that the story will continue, although it definitely opened some interesting new doors, which we'll talk about. And the first thing about it that really surprised me was that I was expecting the longest episode of the season, and in fact this was the shortest episode of the season, just over half an hour, really, once you get past all the different logos and credits, etc. So let's jump right into it. I'll kind of recap what happened on the show and give you my thoughts as we go. We start the episode back in what I guess you would call the real world, where we see Mark's body in the water where he was shot by Harrow. Harrow offers some apologies, and then we get a not-so-subtle setup to the big reveal that's going to come later on in the episode. I'm sorry it had to be this way. Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, whoever else might be in there. Harrow's men fish the Amit statue out of Mark's jacket. His cane transforms into a crocodile staff. And we begin to see the effects in the real world of what we saw last week with these souls that were visiting the afterlife long before their appointed time. Layla impersonates a member of Harrow's crew, and they are all back on the road. And we see that one of the big advantages of being able to channel the power of an ancient Egyptian god is that you get a shortcut through the customs line, because when they hit some Egyptian border guards, we see for the first time what the pre-judgment that Emmet really wants to bring to the entire world looks like. I don't need to show you my papers. I got out of here! You need to show us your soul. As Layla picks her way through these dead customs agents toward Harrow, she's going to try to kill him if she can, although she probably knows that it's a losing battle, to where it begins to speak to her through the dead bodies and relays the message that we saw Mark give her last week. He is going to need Honshu. Break his Shabti. It's in the chamber of the gods. And you can be my avatar. And then we're off again to the Great Pyramid, which thankfully is much more realistically rendered than it was in Oscar winner Sir Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile, which came out earlier this year. Poirot, it is good to see you. Are you on an exotic holiday or an exotic case? Cases, I am in hiding from cases. Harrow enters the Great Pyramid once again with his crew in tow to confront all of the avatars, and I'm betting they're wishing that their Judge Judy-like trial that they did earlier this season had ended differently, because it turns out everything that Kanshu was telling them was actually true. Whoops-a-daisy. The avatars are all wiped out, and then we see the statue of Amet destroyed, and out of it comes the crocodile statue from Steven Spielberg's class classic film hook. I'm just kidding. It's actually Amit, who is a crocodile god. While all of this is going on, Layla finds Khonshu's statue and releases him. He says that he doesn't sense Mark Spector in this world, and he offers to make Layla his new avatar, but she's not having any of it. She doesn't want anything to do with Khonshu because she's seen what he did to Mark. You turned Mark's life into a waking nightmare. 
Why would I ever sign up for that? I thought this scene featured some great work from Mae Kalamui, who plays Layla in the show. I think she's been sidelined for a lot of this season. She gets a couple of great scenes in this finale. And I was actually a little worried about where the story was going to go because I thought that they were going to go the direction of having Layla take over the power of Moon Knight. And the thing that worried me about that was just that it seemed like a repeat beat of a story point that we've seen in several other Marvel films and TV shows. We've seen it with Pepper Potts and the rescue armor, uh, Hope Van Dyne becoming Wasp, Peggy Carter taking the super soldier serum on What If, uh, Kate Bishop taking on the mantle of Hawkeye. We had Sylvie, who was a variant of Loki. And it's not that I didn't like those movies or those actresses in those roles. And it's not about female empowerment. It's really about this repeated beat, about using the same story point over and over in multiple TV shows and movies. And it's something that Marvel has struggled with in the past. There are things like death fakeouts, for instance, that have been used several times, and they lose their impact as they go. And I think if they had gone the direction of having Layla take on Conchu's power and become Moon Knight, she would have probably had to surrender it to Mark slash Steven at some point. It would have been a temporary thing. And I think that what they did was far more interesting and unique to that character's journey. So after Layla turns down his offer, Kanchu decides that he's going to stall Harrow as best he can in the Great Pyramid while Mark and Steven attempt to make their way back from the afterlife realm where we left them last week, most of us in tears as we saw the end of that episode. We see Mark in the field of reeds. He's enjoying a nice quiet moment and Tawarit is saying, you know what? Enjoy your peace. You've earned it. You were out of balance. You found your way to balance. Yeah, sure. Steven fell over the side of the boat and became like a frozen sand guy, but look at all of these reeds. Reeds. It's an endless supply of reeds and peace and quiet. But Mark does not stay there for very long. He decides, no, I've got to go back to the duot. I've got to go back and get Steven. And I love this loyalty between, I mean, they really do feel like two different people, even though they're just two distinct personalities inside of one physical being. You lose track of that over time. And I've said this in previous weeks, it's due to Oscar Isaac's great performance in the lead role. So Mark returns. He finds Steven frozen as we found him last week and that same thing begins to happen to him and I love the interaction that we had where we see the conversation that basically brings them both in harmony together there's no way now I'm gonna abandon you you are the only real superpower Can the best relationship in the MCU be between two personalities inside one body? Because I love Mark and Steven's relationship in this show. And luckily, we're going to get more of it. Because just as Mark is overtaken by the Duat, the gates of Osiris open when their heart comes into balance. And they're able to return to the world of the living. And that's something else I loved about the structure of this episode and how it was written and performed. Is It's not like Mark returns from the dead. Mark and Steven together return from the dead. And the seamless transition, a lot of it was visual effects work with the costuming, etc. But a lot of it was also Oscar Isaac's performance. Mark Spector, I need your help. Uh, just curious about something. How's this whole new arrangement going to work then? Stephen Grant, I was not speaking to you. Mark and Stephen talk to Conchu and basically negotiate and say like, hey, you know what? You need us. We've been saying that we need to be released for all this time, so you're going to honor this deal. When this is done, you are going to release us. And it seems like they kind of have Khonshu between a rock and a hard place, but knowing what we know at the end of this episode, it's very telling that Khonshu agrees to release them both 
in this moment. Well, we did learn from the best, you silly old bird. I will release you both. You have my word. Mm. Back in the Great Pyramid, things are not going well. One of the dying avatars, though, tells Leia that you can defeat Amit if you lock her into a mortal body. And in order to do that, there are going to need to be more avatars to join in on the fight. So Leia decides to take Tawaret up on her offer to become her avatar here on Earth. And I like that Mae Kalamaui gets in on the fun a little bit here, and she also does a great job physically of showing this conversation that Layla is having with Tawaret. Actress Antonia Salib does the voice of Tawaret. I don't think that I mentioned her last week, but I loved her performance in uh, basically, I mean, she's kind of in three episodes, but really these last two episodes, she gave such great presence to that character along with the animators who brought her to life. And so now we have two avatars fighting against one avatar and also two very large ancient Egyptian gods fighting each other. In the midst of all this, Harrow pulls a Lord Voldemort. He goes to the top of the pyramid and sends out his version of the Dark Mark, which activates all of his followers, who then decide to storm through Cairo, pre-judging people, and you have all of their purple souls flying up over the city. Everything lately has been purple in the MCU. The multiverse is purple, the souls are purple. We're going through a bit of a purple phase with Marvel right now. Now, I said a couple weeks ago when Moon Knight and Khonshu did the whole thing where they're moving the stars in the sky, that the residents of Cairo, when they're seeing that, you have to keep in mind, they've seen so much stuff over the past several years. Literally half of the world disappeared and came back that you're probably not going to be that intimidated by many of the things that you see at that point. However, I do think that a site such as Purple Souls flying over the city to feed a rapidly growing crocodile ancient Egyptian god would perhaps be an exception to that rule. So as to where it's Avatar on Earth, Layla gets her own winged costume. I really liked the design on that and the functionality, how it was brought into the different battle scenes. My only major complaint would be that there was a running musical motif and they mercifully only used it a couple of times, but it was bordering very much into Snyder Cut Wonder Woman territory. I know that some people may think it was a little bit too much to have that moment where the little girl asks her, are you an Egyptian superhero? And she basically says, yeah, I am. I really don't mind those moments. I haven't minded them in a bunch of other movies and TV shows uh, because I do think that that is uh, an avatar of its own for uh, young girls or even grown women who are watching these shows and have not seen their cultures represented in this way before. It's a moment of acknowledgement. And so I actually liked that moment in the episode. And I like that you could bring Layla into the action as her own distinct personality in her own distinct role instead of inhabiting this role as a placeholder for somebody else. Moon Knight is also zipping through the night sky and he joins the fight and there's a great series of shots where he's basically flying at Harrow. Harrow comes running down the pyramid. Moon Knight comes running up the pyramid and we have this great epic shot in front of the moon where he's kneeing Harrow and then they're flying through the air. A lot of this episode was fighting and battles which I've kind of tuned out on in the past but it was so stylistically well done and there was a great sense of purpose to the cinematography, to the scale of everything that I actually 
actually found myself engaged and interested. And a big part of it is also that you have made me care for these characters before we got to the big fight scenes. And that's something that I said last week uh, for people that may have said that there wasn't enough Moon Knight in this show. This episode was pretty much wall-to-wall action and fighting. But I think because you took the time to develop these characters and bring them to the places where they are in this last episode, you earn all the big action. You earn all the big fights. And it feels like they actually matter because you have taken the time properly to tell a story. So I hope that for everybody who was growing a little anxious and saying that there wasn't enough Moon Knight, that this big action finale was enough to sort of sate uh, retroactively uh, the things that you were missing from the costume superhero part of this show. I also think this was an extension of the combination of personalities here. Oscar Isaac jumping back and forth from Moon Knight to Mr. Knight, from Steven to Mark. And we also get to see Mr. Knight really whip some ass in this episode. We see that Steven is now fully comfortable in that persona. He's not kind of stumbling and bumbling like he was earlier in the season. And we have that sort of John Wick type shot where he's jumping through the goons and hitting people, flying things. He gets thrown into a building, he comes back out as Moon Knight. It really shows how you can tell a story with two distinct characters in one body, in an action sequence, and still have all the fight choreography and stuff. I was very impressed by the execution of this scene. But even though we have two avatars fighting as well as Khonshu fighting amid himself towering over the Great Pyramid, things are not looking good for our good guys. Harrow has Moon Knight down, he's pinned, he's judging him. He says some pretty cold-blooded stuff about the fact that, you know, if people had been able to get prejudged for the bad things that they would have done, then Mark's brother never would have been killed uh, and that he would still be alive and Mark would be dead. I mean, that may be true, but still, that's some pretty cold-blooded stuff. And then we see something that we haven't seen in a few episodes, which is that Mark is down on the ground, things are looking bad, and then he flashes out. And the way that we saw Steven transitioning to and from Mark in the first episode, and things have once again happened without Mark's knowledge and without Steven's knowledge. That wasn't you, was it, Stephen? Not a chance, mate. This is the most obvious sign yet that something is afoot, and it's something that we will address in the mid-credits scene, and I'll give my thoughts on it overall. But the end result of this is that Harrow is disabled. They're able to take his body back to the Great Pyramid and perform an Egyptian ritual that puts Emit back into Harrow's body. And then I love this choice that uh, really Mark has to make because he has been a murderer through most of not only this show, but the buildup to his character, especially after becoming Khonshu's avatar on Earth, Kanchu basically says, kill Harrow right now because he's got a mitt inside of him. The choice is vengeance. We cannot take the chance that Amit finds a way out. I sound just like her. So I'm going to let Harrow live. I'm going to trust that uh, this evil is going to be contained. And you know what? We also had an agreement that you are going to let us go. Do it yourself. Now release us. So Kanshu agrees, he frees Mark and Steven, and then we briefly flash back to this mental institution that we saw as part of the afterlife a couple of episodes ago. And there is a little bit of questioning about like, well, why are we here? Wait a minute, was this all in Mark slash Steven's imagination? But it appears to be a dream where he basically puts to rest this idea of being in the institution and where it's obvious that Harrow is the one who needs the help. Well, it is tempting to accept your diagnosis. Doc, we'd rather go save the world. 
and we end up back in Steven's apartment. And now, even though they're waking up from being asleep, the two of them are able to speak with each other. Uh, Mark is really getting a, a first look at Steven's apartment and, and really is not happy with the condition of it. I can't believe you live in this freaking mess. And then we have a callback all the way again to the beginning of the show where they're tethered to the bed. There's a comic moment where uh, Mark slash Steven falls down on the floor, and that's the end of the show. That's where the credits roll. Uh, and when I was watching this, I'm like, well, that seems like kind of an abrupt ending, although obviously I knew that there was something coming in the credits. But the big question has been, is this going to wrap up the story, or are we going to leave the door open for uh, more Moon Knight TV shows, TV seasons, perhaps a movie? I thought it might be kind of an ambiguous thing, but it was actually much more clear-cut than I thought, at least if you're looking for a full narrative satisfaction, because in our mid-credits scene, we find Harrow in his own sort of institution. Somebody comes and gets him. They wheel him outside. We see that there's a dead orderly on the way out. Harrow gets put into a car where we have Conchu hanging around in there in his suit, and then he makes the big reveal, which is that Mark and Steven aren't even fully aware of how fractured their personalities are, and we meet the third personality that has been heavily teased, especially in these last few episodes. Meet my friend, Jake Lockley. Jake appears to kill Harrow, which takes it back to Mark telling Moon Knight before he's released from his service that if you want to kill Harrow, you better do it yourself. Well, apparently Khonshu has another way around it, which is that he still has control over this third personality now in Mark's body. So we now have Mark, we have Steven, and we have Jake Lockley. And I love the execution on this. There is one thing that I do have to say about it, though, and it speaks to more of the environment outside of this show, which is that the idea of a third personality was very heavily set up inside the context of the show itself. But the name Jake Lockley has been something that I have seen on comments left for these recap videos. And for those that are fans of Moon Knight that were in the know, this was obviously a big moment that they very much anticipated. But I will say that for those of us that chose not to steep ourselves in Moon Knight lore. I don't know if Jake Lockley was as big a reveal as it could have or would have been because it has been talked about openly on social media and comments underneath videos, both spoiler and non-spoiler, for weeks now from people who did know the identity of this third personality, uh, what the kind of personality traits were. And for me, it's an accepted professional hazard. I make the choice to read most or all of the comments that are left on my videos because I like to see what the feedback is. I like to respond on to folks uh, and join in on the conversation every once in a while. And I understand that with that territory comes the fact that I'm going to be exposed to things that I maybe wouldn't have been otherwise. But I think it goes a little bit beyond that. My one appeal that I would say going forward is that, you know, we're less than a decade really out from the times where the identity of the Winter Soldier, for example, which was long established in comic book lore, or the events in Game of Thrones, which obviously some of those books had been out for years and years and years, those events and those secrets weren't really talked about openly because there was some consideration for the audience members that had chosen not to go that deep into the source material and experience those stories for the first time on television or in a movie theater. So if you do like to steep yourself and know that background going in, or if you already know that background, 
just keep in mind that everybody chooses to experience their movies and shows in different ways, and maybe to pick the proper forum or tag things appropriately, especially when you're talking about things that may very well be down the line uh, for people that don't know yet what's going to happen. So putting the off-screen stuff aside, as I said, I think this was the action finale that a lot of Moon Knight fans who hadn't gotten that action uh, perhaps were hoping for. Yes, the story did take a back seat, but last week's episode was so great and you established these characters so well already. I think the fights themselves had a distinctive look and I think the show overall was very stylistic across the board. I think it was one of the best looking Marvel projects, uh, period, movie or TV show. Now, if there is no Moon Knight Season 2 or no real follow-up other than just kind of inserting the character into the established uh, Marvel lore, then I don't know how good of a job they did at really putting a satisfying bow on this story. I guess we do have a resolution between Mark and Steven in that they now live in harmony. It seems like we've resolved Harrow's storyline, but I think we have a lot of stuff still between Layla and Mark that has yet to be resolved, as well as how Layla is going to adjust to the fact that Mark and Steven now really do share one body and then obviously the introduction of Jake is a huge game changer that we saw next to nothing about and it would be very frustrating if this was something that was left open-ended now other than Oscar Isaac perhaps not wanting to take part I don't know why they wouldn't explore more of this down the road and I think that narratively overall this was for me while not perfect the most satisfying of the MCU shows on Disney plus when I just look at everything altogether but I was sort of crazy Saving a complete story, which we didn't quite get here, and I know it's probably naive to expect that, especially from the TV shows on Disney+, Plus. but I'd hoped for a little bit more of interior resolution to this run of episodes. Having said that, I am anxious to see how they're going to fold Jake into the existing dynamic between these characters. I do think, though, with three personalities, you have to be very careful about the logistics of it, or you're going to be straying into the territory of Donald Kaufman's The Three which if you don't remember was the screenplay that the fictional brother of Charlie Kaufman was pitching in 2002's adaptation. The killer really suffers from multiple personality disorder, right? See, he's, he's actually really the cop and the girl. All of them are him. Overall, this was a pretty easy number one for me as far as the MCU shows go on Disney Plus. I thought that Oscar Isaac's performance and the show's style are the best that we've seen on Disney Plus. And I think that the show also avoided some of the narrative dead ends that we hit in WandaVision and what I thought was the lackluster finale of Loki, even though some of the highlights of Loki may have inched up just above some of the highlights of this show for me. And I think it really has provided a great template for success going forward when we look at these Marvel shows on Disney Plus, which is that it is part of the established universe, but it also brought a strong character focus to the table. It brought great performances. It had a serious tone that still allowed for humor. It had directors and craftsmen involved that had a distinct stylistic vision, and there was an emphasis on strong emotions over big fights. Moon Knight is one that I am anxiously looking forward to re-watching, and I can't say that for a lot of the other MCU shows, at least not in total. There are particular episodes that I loved. This is one that I'm excited to watch again from start to finish. And really, Oscar Isaac, I can't say enough about him. Whether they submit this in the limited series or whatever categories, I don't know what the rules are anymore on the Emmys. Wherever Moon Knight lands, Oscar Isaac deserves all of the love. And if they continue to explore, I guess, these characters in the future, I'll be anxious to see what the future holds. 
So that does it for my recaps of Moon Knight. I'm kind of glad that I ended up doing them week to week. There's some Marvel shows that I haven't, but this has been a really interesting one to track as we learn more about these different identities and different clues and hints are dropped, etc. It's a big Marvel week here on the channel because Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, in case you haven't heard, comes out this week. You can probably look for my non-spoiler review of that on Thursday night after I see the movie on Thursday afternoon. I'm trying to get to the first available public screening and then my my spoiler review will drop over the weekend where I'm able to share my thoughts on the things that I can't talk about in my non-spoiler review. Also coming up soon in three weeks, I believe we have the premiere of Obi-Wan Kenobi, another highly anticipated Disney Plus show, so I'll be bringing you my thoughts on that. And then in a little over a month, we have Ms. Marvel, which is the next big Marvel show on Disney Plus. So Disney Plus keeping the Star Wars and the Marvel fans fed with new stuff. What did you think? think of Moon Knight? Did you enjoy it? Do you think it lived up to his potential? Was this episode with all the action and fighting what you were looking for, or was it too much of a contrast to what we've seen from the show already? Let me know down in the comments below, and as always, thank you so much for watching. Before we go, I'd like to thank the sponsor for today's video, which is Athletic Greens. You know, tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, but it is really important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. One of the things that it does focus on is gut health, which is a focus for me as I'm kind of looking at 2022 as a self-improvement year. But the great thing about Athletic Greens is it has so many different ingredients that do so many great things for you and for your body. And it's not just full of vitamins and minerals. It also tastes great, which is especially good because Athletic Greens is lifestyle friendly and contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no artificial anything while maintaining that same great taste. I would love for you to give Athletic Greens a try and to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, very important during this cold and flu season, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Dan. Again, that is athleticgreens.com D-A-N to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring today's show. Thanks again to Athletic Greens for sponsoring this video, and thank you for watching. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you soon. Bye.